So I felt like that all weekend long, like things never go my way. So we're in a uh, finish up a series this weekend called The Grown Up, and uh, in this series we've been looking at family and family dynamics, and uh, we've talked about three things that are true, three things that are true of every family. We've said that uh, one of the things that's true of all families is that you get no choice of who your family is, and so you kind of have who you have. And we said there's two ways you can look at that. You can resent it, or you can look and say, well, God created it, and he gave these people to me for a reason. Uh, the second thing that's true of every family is every family looks outside of their family and thinks that another family is better than their family. And so every family has the grass is greener syndrome that goes on. And that, it's, it's pretty normal. It's not the end of the world. But here's the danger of it. When I start daydreaming about something that I don't have, I stop investing in what I do have. When I start daydreaming about something I don't have, I stop investing in what I do have. And we said, if God created this family and it was part of his design, then he did that so that I could redeem it, so that I can be a minister of reconciliation in that unit so that I could invest in what I have. And then the third thing we've said is that every family's got a leader. Every family's got a leader. There's somebody that sets the tone and the dynamic of that family. And we said, the thing is, you can volunteer to be that person. Uh, you can, in essence, look at God and say, hey, I'll do it. I, I, I may not be the natural leader. I may not be the one who's supposed to be leading, but I'm willing to do it. I will be the person that volunteers to bring your heart, your mindset, uh, your passion to this family. And if you would work through me, I would be willing to, to be used of you that way. And so we laid down that foundation and we said there is a powerful question that you can ask, a question that changes the relationship dynamic in the family and really any relationship that you have. And the question is, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? It's the same question that Jesus basically asked of us and it is, it is his mindset. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that we're to put other people's interests above our own, stop the rivalries, quit fighting for the empty glory. And how can I serve you? How can I value you above my own? And it will defuse any fight and it will remove any tension and it will change the, the relational dynamic. Then last weekend we said the reason why that question is so powerful is because it hits a core thing in our humanity and that is it addresses our aloneness. And we looked at Genesis chapter two and said that man, we, we learned that God says you need me and you need each other. It's the way I created. And when we feel isolated and alone, we start reacting to each other in negative ways. And when I ask that question, how can I serve you? I'm going right to the core of that, saying, how can I value you? How can I love you? How can I enter into your aloneness and help alleviate that for you? So all those conversations are out online. You can go to our website, graceohio.org, and you can watch them or listen to them or get a podcast for free through iTunes if you want and kind of catch up on all of that and, uh, and fill in those blanks. I think you'll find it super helpful and uh, encourage you to do that. This weekend, as we um, wrap up the series, what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about the most powerful decision in the world, the most powerful decision in the world. God gives you the ability to make the most powerful decision in the world, and this decision if you would make this decision, can be absolutely be life-altering for you. Uh, it's a decision that will change the trajectory of a family. It's a decision that will rearrange a marriage, heal a marriage. It's a decision that will repair relationships between children 
and their parents, between siblings. It's a decision that can alter your workplace environment. It's a decision that can heal a church. It's a decision that you can make and you can apply to any relationship that you have and it will alter, it'll shuffle the deck and reset the table for that relationship. It's a decision that has altered the course of human history. I'm gonna tell you, show you this here in a minute. It's a decision that when it was made is literally the reason that we're sitting here uh, this weekend. If this decision had not been made, then we really would not be here at all uh, because we wouldn't even know about Jesus himself. It's a decision that Jesus makes for us and it's the most powerful decision in the world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's a decision that God says you are to make and God empowers you as you make it. So he comes along beside you literally in a supernatural way, spiritually, and he empowers you. He gives you the strength, the wisdom, the discernment, and the ability to make this decision and to make it again and again and again. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, it's a, it's a pragmatic decision that you can make. It's a decision that you can make that will just reset a, a table for you. And if you're looking at a relational tension that you have and you say, I, I want this to start playing out a different way, you can apply this decision to that relationship and you will get a different outcome than the one that you have been getting to date because this is the most powerful decision in the world, all right? And it is what we want to talk about. The decision is the decision to forgive, the decision to forgive. And the decision to forgive is the most powerful decision in the world, and it can and will alter any relationship that you're in. And the decision to forgive, and that decision being made, is literally the reason why we are sitting here even this weekend, because this decision was made, and it changed the course of human history and it leads directly to our interaction here this weekend, the decision to forgive. I wanna to talk to you about this a little bit by going back and talking about someone that we talked about at the beginning of this whole series, and that person is named Joseph. Now, before we get too deep into this, let me just give you a little framework of how Joseph plays out in the Bible. So I had our graphics department design this high-tech graphic for us here that I can walk you through, and it's gonna come up on the screen here any minute. There it is, there it is, how about that? The artistry is amazing. Here's Joseph. Now, let's just get into Joseph's family line a little bit. God's promise to bring about redemption and to create a great name for himself and ultimately to bring salvation came through a guy named Abraham. Abraham, God worked in his life in a powerful way, and he and his wife had a child. It was a, it was a miraculous thing. Abraham was 100 years old. His wife was 80. She got pregnant, and their child's name was Isaac. Isaac had twin sons, and their twin sons were Esau and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and Joseph was one of those sons, and those 12 sons serve as the foundation of the nation of Israel, right? And it's through the nation of Israel. In fact, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. It's through the nation of Israel that David shows up, Moses shows up, and ultimately Jesus shows up. And we talked in week one about Joseph, who was one of these 12 sons. And Joseph's story was a fascinating one. You can listen to it on the podcast if you want. I'll just give you the very quick overview of it. Joseph had 10 stepbrothers, one biological brother. 
His stepbrothers hated him so much that they faked his death, told his father he was killed by a wild animal, and they took their brother and they sold him into slavery in Egypt. Joseph went to Egypt as a slave. He was enslaved or imprisoned in Egypt for 13 years. So 13 years of his life was robbed from him. He served as a slave and then he was wrongly imprisoned. Bunch of stuff happened. The short version is the Pharaoh had a dream. God allowed Joseph to interpret that dream for him. The Pharaoh was so grateful that he promoted Joseph to vice Pharaoh, in essence, prime minister, vice Pharaoh of all of Egypt. And Joseph winds up the second most powerful person in the world at that time in human history. In that position then, Joseph's brothers, his 10 stepbrothers, come to him, there's a famine, and they come to beg for and buy food. They don't recognize their brother because it's 13 years later and he looks like an Egyptian, so they don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes them. Joseph is in a power, uh, in a place of power. He could have struck them down. He could have had them enslaved. He could have beaten them to a pulse. He could have executed them on the spot because he's the second most powerful person in the world. He could do whatever he wanted. Instead, he chose to forgive. He, in essence, looked and said, God created this family. God put me in it. There's obviously better families out there, but this is the one that I got, right? God put me in it, and I'm going to be the grown-up. I, I volunteer, God, to be used by you to bring about forgiveness and bring about your plan. And Joseph forgave his brothers for all the ways that they had wronged him. Now, that's a very, very big deal because, bring the graph back up for me, if Joseph had not forgiven his brothers, there would not have been the 12 tribes of Israel. They all came off of his brothers. If the 12 tribes of Israel don't exist, then all of the Old Testament stuff doesn't exist, the line to Jesus doesn't exist, and theoretically, Jesus would have never been born, we would have never heard the gospel, you and I would not be gathered here this weekend. The decision to forgive on Joseph's part was a life-altering, history-altering decision. You and I, when we get to heaven and we see Joseph, should say, thank you very much, because if he had not forgiven, we would not know about Christ. And what I would submit to you this weekend is that Joseph's decision to forgive was actually, ready, a learned behavior. That Joseph's decision to forgive was not the key decision to forgive. The key decision to forgive actually went back a generation and it was Esau. And Joseph learned something from his uncle Esau, okay? Now, let me fill in these blanks for you. We're gonna talk a lot of story here, so you gotta hang with us this weekend. Esau and Jacob are very interesting people, and they had a big controversy over something called a birthright, all right? So Esau and Jacob are twins, and the Bible says that Esau was born first. He was the first one out. Now, that's a big deal in the Bible because in the ancient world, if you were the firstborn son, that meant that you were the one who was to receive the birthright from your father. And the birthright is this massive deal in the Old Testament because the birthright meant 
that all the family wealth, it didn't get dispersed among the kids. It only went to the firstborn son. So all the family wealth went to the firstborn son. All the family power went to the firstborn son. All the legal control of the family went to the firstborn son. So literally Esau would sit as judge over his brothers and his sisters and and the, the family. Everything that was the fathers, the patriarchs, went, it didn't go to their mom, it didn't get divided equally, it only went to the firstborn son. So Esau, even though he was a twin, he was the first one out. In fact, the Bible says that Jacob was clinging to his heel. He was like, wait a minute, I want that birthright, right? Like he was like worried about this, even in the womb. And he was the first one out, he had the right to the birthright. Okay, which is a very, very big deal in the Bible. Jacob knew that, so did Jacob's mom. And so a story plays out, it's recorded in the book of Genesis, chapter 27, you can look at it. A story plays out in which his father Isaac was an old blind man about ready to die. And Isaac said to his son Esau, I'm about ready to give you the birthright. Let's have a little ceremony go kill me something and make my favorite food. And after you do that, I'll give you the birthright. And the Bible says about Esau that he was a a woodsy guy. So he smelled like the woods. I'm not sure what the woods smells like, but it smelled like the woods. He, He was very hairy, the Bible says. And his father, because he couldn't see him, would in essence smell him and feel his arms to know that it was Esau. Esau goes off to kill whatever his dad wanted him to kill. Jacob's mother steps in and says, hey, um, listen, your brother's about to get the birthright. What if we play a trick on dad and we get the birthright to you because Jacob was like a mama's boy, right? And so they did, they got Jacob to kind of smell earthy. They took goat's hair and they put it on his arm so he felt hairy. He walked in with the food that his father requested and he said, here I am, dad, to get my birthright. Isaac hears him and he says, wait a minute, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. And he rubbed his hands and his arms and says, you feel like Esau, you're like a a hairy goat, right? You feel like Esau. Are you Jacob or Esau? And Jacob says, oh, I am Esau, right? And Abraham, or I'm sorry, Isaac, passes the birthright to the wrong son, It's an irrevocable thing that he did. And he gives his blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. All the family wealth, all the family power, everything goes to Jacob. Esau comes back, says, here's your dinner. Isaac says, "Um, didn't we already do this? Esau figures out that he's been betrayed. He's been lied to. He's been stabbed in the back. He's been stolen from. And he makes a vow. He says, By the time dad dies and the time of mourning is over, I'm going to kill my brother, right? And he didn't mean that in a metaphorical way. He was like, I I am going to kill my brother. This scared Jacob's mom so much that she said, you got to take off. You've got to run away. And so he did. 20 years later now, Jacob who had all kinds of relational issues in his life, is running for his life again, this time from his father-in-law. He has wives, servants, herds, 
And ready? Put the graph back up for me. He's got these 12 kids. And he's running away from his father-in-law who wants to kill him, right? This is like a pattern in Jacob's life. I'm going to kill you, right? And the only way for him to escape is to go through the territory that his brother Esau holds. And the only way for him to get away from his father-in-law who wants to kill him is to run to his brother who wants to kill him. And you see this story, this scenario play out in the Bible in a very dramatic way. So grab your Bibles, open them up to Genesis, Genesis chapter 32, and you start to see kind of the end of this story be recounted in Genesis. It's page 23, 24 in your Bibles that are in the chairs there, U version if you want to go electronic. Chapter 32 of Genesis, look down at verse 8. What, what, what Jacob did is he knew he had to go through his brother's territory. He was extremely wealthy. He was the Bill Gates of his day. So he sent messengers ahead with a bribe. He's like, take like 50 goats and some gold and like try to buy my brother off. So the messengers go... Jacob wants to negotiate a peace, in essence, with his brothers, with his brother Esau. He sends the messengers ahead. In verse 8, or verse 6, I'm sorry, they come back in chapter 32, and they say this. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you with 400 men. In other words, they were like, it didn't work. We took everything to him. He said no, and he's bringing an army with him. Jacob is a shepherd. Esau is a, is a military leader. In fact, his father said, you're going to live by the sword your whole life. Esau, everything he has, he has because he conquered and killed for it. Everything Jacob has, he has because he, he, he cut corners and lied to get it. He is not a fighting man, but his brother is a proven killer, and he's coming toward him with a grudge, 20 years to cook on it with 400 men. This freaks Jacob out so badly, verse 7, in great fear and distress. Jacob is like, oh, snap. This is caught up to me. Look what he does. He comes up with a plan. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And he thought, if Esau comes and attacks one, one, uh, one group, the group that is left might escape. Jacob is so terrified of his brother's wrath that he literally thinks to himself, I'll divide the family in half. And as Esau is wiping out half of my family, Maybe the other half of my family can get away. That's, what he, that's what's on his mind. He knows what he did. He ripped his brother off. He stole from him. He robbed life from him. He robbed money from him. He robbed dignity from him. He robbed inheritance from him. He absolutely betrayed and stole from his brother. And now his brother with 400 men, a proven military leader, is coming to meet him. And he's thinking, well, if I can get half of the kids and some of my wives out of here, at least maybe my family name will go on. 
but there's going to be a blood bath. And so he goes about the process of doing all this, and then in verse 1 of chapter 33, it all kind of hits ahead. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. He executed the plan. He divided everybody up, and what Jacob did is he took half of the family, and he went with them, and he went out ahead of them. And the Bible says as he approached his brother, he bowed down to his brother seven times. And basically what he was saying was, please don't kill me. Uh, Please don't kill me, right? Seven times. He's like, I am in a bad way right now. He's expecting to die. And he's expecting half of his family to be destroyed in the process. And then The craziest thing in the world happens, the one thing nobody thought was going to happen, verse 4, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and the children. Who are these with you, he asked. And Jacob answered, these are the children God had graciously given your servant. Esau meets his brother, he does not scream at him, he does not run him off, he does not execute him, he throws his arms around him, he kisses him, he embraces him, he made the most powerful decision in the world, he forgave him. He had every right in the world to wipe him out. He had every opportunity in the world to wipe him out. He ruled the area. He's got 400 guys. He could have slaughtered them all, and nobody would have even questioned it because Esau ruled that area. But when it came to the opportunity for him to get even, to level the score, to take his pound of flesh, Esau passed. And he forgave his brother, and he restored his brother. He did not catch this. He did not just make peace with his brother. He did not just negotiate a truce with his brother. He did not say, listen, you're never going to be able to come over for Thanksgiving unless we put this behind us, right? He forgave his brother, accepted him, loved him, showed compassion and forgiveness to him. And look at this, verse 6, the female servants, the children approached, bowed down next, Leah and her children bowed down. And last of all, Joseph and his mother Rachel came to and bowed down. Who is watching this whole thing happen? There's 12 boys, countless girls. They're all seeing Uncle Esau and Dad reunite. Everybody knew the plan. Listen, when he starts yelling, you run, because he's going to kill everybody. There is one child in Jacob's family that is mentioned, one, Joseph. That's it. Joseph saw it all play out. Bring my chart back up for me, please. The history-altering decision to forgive was not Joseph's. It was Esau's. Where did Joseph learn this? Did God empower him? Certainly. 
Did he recognize God's sovereign? Absolutely. Did he understand that God had moved in? Yeah, he got all of that. But when he is now faced at his moment of crisis, where I have all power, I have all authority, and I got every right in the world, and I will absolutely get away with it, and I have to finally deal with my brothers who robbed from me and stole from me and stabbed me in the back and betrayed me and robbed me of my youth and my blessing. Did Joseph remember his uncle Esau? Sure he did. Did he remember that? You think you're ever gonna forget the day that you thought you were gonna die? Did he remember the day and he knew the story of what his dad did and he heard all the warnings about his uncle Esau and that he watched the embrace and he watched the kiss and he watched the most powerful decision in the world be played out, absolutely. Was Joseph walking with God? Yes. Did Joseph understand the sovereignty of God? Yes. Was God interacting with Joseph in in an extraordinary way? Absolutely. Had Joseph seen another person do what God was asking him to do right now? Yes. Because the most powerful decision in the world alters the path of families. It alters human history. If Esau had not forgiven Jacob, theoretically, we're not here right now because the line of faith is broken. And we don't know about the good news of our Savior Jesus. And this is huge. It is huge that the most powerful decision in the world, a decision that you are entrusted with, a decision that you can make can bring about such dynamic change to your family. The most powerful decision in the world is something that when you make it, you, the grown-up, you alter the course of your family. When a father is forgiven by a mother, what are those children taught When when a father releases his bitterness and his resentment toward his wife, the mother of his children, what are those children taught? And when those children face those same set of circumstances in their marriage a generation later, what are they going to remember? Are they going to know the Bible? I hope so. Are they going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? I sure hope they have a walk with God. Where are they going to have the skin on lesson? I remember when dad did this to mom and she forgave him. I remember when mom did this to dad and she forgave him. And now here I am because every relationship requires the most powerful decision in the world. You cannot be connected to another human being and forgiveness never enter the picture. And where is it learned? On the other hand, When aunt so-and-so is never welcomed at the house because when we were 15, she stole my boyfriend. (laughs) And my dad, he walked out on us and I don't even talk to, I know he keeps calling, I don't even want to talk to the man. These are learned behaviors. And what Joseph saw was he saw the heart and the mind of a redemptive God played out in his uncle Esau. 
And he had a model. He had something with skin on it. And he, in essence, kind of knew what to do because he remembered the day that his uncle forgave and spared his life. When your children see forgiveness, when your children see release, when your children see you being defined by Christ, not defined by the one who has abused you, it's a powerful dynamic that alters the course of the family history. You know what's fascinating to me? What's fascinating to me is, I don't think Jacob was asking for forgiveness. I think he was trying to weasel through something just based on his history. And I know for sure Joseph's brothers weren't asking for forgiveness. They didn't even know who Joseph was. When these guys were faced with this decision, God helped something to register within them that they decided, I have, to, I have to decide what's gonna direct my life. Am I gonna be a person of vengeance for the rest of my life, just marauding through, wiping anybody out, and every time I hurt somebody, I'm just seeing my brother Jacob's face on them? Am I gonna be a person of vengeance in my life that's gonna execute the, 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 the power and the authority of position that I have because I'm the vice pharaoh and I'm gonna, find, I'm gonna teach you a lesson? Or is the heart and the mind of Christ going to be what defines me? I'm not defined by my abuser, I'm defined by my redeemer. And his heart and his passion, as I receive from him, as he forgives me and I receive that forgiveness, as he bestows compassion upon me and I receive that compassion, it reflects out, it echoes out to the people around me. You don't define me, Christ defines me. And my actions and my attitude, my heartbeat will be determined by him. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul leans into in the book of Ephesians. If you flip over there in your Bibles, you've got to go way to the right in your Bibles. To Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. It's page 816 of those Bibles in the chairs. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is a direct command. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's just a really good idea for you. Look at verse 31, chapter four. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. What is God saying here in his word? He's saying you flush this stuff out. How do I flush it out? You flush it out by receiving my forgiveness, my grace, my mercy, my compassion. It will displace this garbage in your life. I am to define you. My mind is to define you. My heart is to define you. And when you harbor bitterness and resentment, anger, brawling, slander, mouth, when you harbor this frustration, when you have this I am going to even the score mindset, the one who abused you, the ex who left you, the sibling who hurt you, the parents who failed you, the boss who rips you off has become the Lord of your heart. 
because their actions towards you are now defining your actions toward another. When I displace all of that and the Lord of my heart becomes Christ Jesus, who loved me, who forgave me, who gives compassion and mercy to me, one who is undeserving, one who initially did not ask for it, because while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. But he extends it to me, and when I recognize it, and I embrace and I kiss, so to say, when I receive it, then the Lord of my heart is the one who defines my actions, my attitude, and my interactions with the people around me. It's forgiveness. There is no way to have a healthy family if forgiveness is not at the center point of it. There is no way to have a thriving marriage if forgiveness is not the center point of it. There is no way to have a great relationship with your kids. If for, there is no way to have a friendship if forgiveness is not at the center of it. It is the most powerful decision in the world. And it changes everything. It will break the cycles of abuse. It will break the cycles of resentment. It will teach your children another way. And when they are faced with the same circumstances that you have been faced with, they will remember the day. See, the day that Uncle Esau forgave. And now here I am in his shoes. What do I do? And how do I do it? God says that we are to love like this. We're to love as Christ has loved us. We're to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. The Bible says when Christ forgives us, he cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. They are forgotten. They are pushed away. And so when God talks about forgiveness, he's not talking about a negotiated peace. He's talking about a release, a cleansing of the heart. It's to love in such a way so that it's like the divorce never happened. It's as if the words were never spoken. It's as if the needs were never neglected. It's as if the abuser never left. The decisions were never made. The blessing was never stolen. It's not that these rights can be wronged. It's not a repayment per se. It's that these wrongs have been righted through forgiveness. Pastor Jeff, are you saying that I should be an enabler? Absolutely not, different conversation. Are you saying if that person hurt me, I should just trust them and open the doors of my home to them? Absolutely not, different conversation. I'm talking about what is in us. I should, I can't control them, but I should be defined by Christ. I should be driven by Christ. I should be renewed and made whole and made new in Christ. And then their response and their actions toward me, we, you kind of manage it as you go. But when I'm sitting by myself, when I'm laying in bed, what's rolling through my mind, when I'm thinking about the holidays, what memories are driving me, when I'm responding to my spouse, what is actually behind those responses, that is something that I get to participate in. And I 
have been given by God the ability to make the most powerful decision in the world, forgiveness. Forgiveness is the decision that grown-ups make. Forgiveness is a life-giving decision. It breathes life into marriages. Forgiveness breathes life into families. Forgiveness casts off the burden of resentment and bitterness, and it makes room for joy and peace in life. Forgiveness gives you our life in Christ, right? Christ's forgiveness for, for us, to us, is what gives us our salvation. And what forgiveness does then when we forgive another is it models Christ's life to those that he brings across our path. It's huge, 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 huge. Guys, listen, if you're frustrated with the direction of your relationships, I guarantee you, I bet you sushi, right? that there's an issue of forgiveness. If that decision was made, it will move that relationship in a different direction. If your marriage is at a stalemate, the trenches are dug and we're just squared off and all we do is shoot each other and never make any ground, I promise you that forgiveness is the issue that breaks the stalemate. When I shut things down, instead of pushing people out of my life, I offer forgiveness and it opens the door to relationships in a whole new way. It's the most powerful decision in the world. It's a decision that Christ made for us and to us, and a decision that Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, will empower you in a supernatural way to make and to continue to make. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's just a fantastic idea, because somebody's gotta break the ice. Somebody's gotta surrender. Somebody's gotta shuffle the deck and bring about a new relational dynamic, right? Forgiveness, the most powerful decision in the world. I'm gonna ask the band to come out, and as they come out, I encourage you in in here in the auditorium and out in the cafe, because I encourage you to be still. We, we We are terrible as a people at just being still. And in all the chaos of the week, there's, there's a powerful thing about taking 10 minutes and just giving your mind and your heart to God. So I encourage you to spend the next few moments praying. Use the words as, of the songs as prayers if, if you're kind of looking for words. But let God in. Let him in your heart and in your mind and wrestle this, this question to the ground, Right? Because we all struggle with it. So ask yourself this question. Is there anyone in my life that I need to forgive? This is one of these conversations that when you have it, names come to mind. Who is that person? And can I release it to God? Can I release them to God? Is there resentment in my heart? When I look at what's smacking up against my relationships, is there resentment, is there bitterness, is there anger, malice, brawling, slander that needs to be displaced by what God has done and has given for me? And is there forgiveness that needs to be received? 
that it's, you're like on the other end of it. And, and the mindset is almost, I don't need to be forgiven. I wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was. If it caused a relational fissure, it was, it was that bad. And so can you respond in love to the people around you? Take a few minutes and be still and be connected to God and break outside of the chaos of the week and just soak in for a minute, wrestle through, pray through how God might have you make the most powerful decision in the world.